This podcast is not meant to be taken as medical advice. Please check with your licensed healthcare professional when it comes to your health. This is fact-based information, but your health is known only by yourself and your healthcare professional. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Womb Talk. Today, I'm here with Lily Nichols. Did I pronounce that right? Yep. I'm always worried. I un- I always am worried that I'm pronouncing things wrong with names. I like suck at names. So how about you introduce us yourself to everyone and let us know a little bit what you're about. Sure. Yeah. So I am a registered dietitian and nutritionist and a certified diabetes educator specializing in prenatal nutrition and gestational diabetes. Uh, but also I tend to work on the the fringes of that too is both preconception and and postpartum nutrition as well. And I'd say most people know me from my uh, two books, Real Food for Pregnancy and Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. And I am very much about empowering, you know, expecting moms and expecting parents with the, you know, best nutrition advice to help them have a, you know, smooth, uneventful, uncomplicated or less complicated pregnancy and a uh, smooth postpartum recovery. And I believe that is uh, best accomplished with a diet that focuses on real food and a whole bunch of other proactive lifestyle choices. Just super awesome because I feel like food isn't talked about enough. Like I'm a foodie, but I didn't just, I just started getting like healthy eating as best I can. I suck at it. Oh, so uh, today we're talking about gestational diabetes. I have not regretfully read your book yet. I kind of lost, I like quit my job kind of thing. So I'm kind of like not on the rich side right now, but I like it's on my wish list. So I have not read your book yet, I will admit. So maybe you could tell us a little bit what gestational diabetes is. People hear it mainly from media, but maybe you know a more healthier way to say it or I don't know, just. Yeah, so gestational diabetes is a, type of diabetes, really it's a, you know, elevated blood sugar is a better way to say it. That is either first um, develops or is first diagnosed in pregnancy, which can actually mean two different things. It could be that the person had some blood sugar issues going on before conception that are showing up because we're screening and we have more stringent methods of diagnosis in pregnancy. Um, Or it can be something that just develops during the pregnancy. Um, Part of the adaptation to being pregnant is that your um, body increases its level of insulin resistance, which um, means that your body needs more insulin to maintain normal blood sugar levels. And even though in pregnancy, blood sugar levels actually trend down below um, non-pregnant blood sugar levels, your body is required to pump out a lot more insulin. Um, in order to overcome that insulin resistance. So if there is a natural um, propensity for insulin resistance in a person, maybe a family history of diabetes in the family, um, or their pancreas somehow is not able to adapt to that demand and is not able to push out more insulin, um, then you can have a situation where blood sugar levels are on average higher than, than we would expect. And at a certain threshold, we call that gestational diabetes. So I give a little more um, detailed description of it because I think people need to understand that there's like sort of levels of severity of gestational diabetes and um, not all cases are 
really serious or need um, really, you know, a whole lot of medical intervention, a fair amount of them are, you know, 100% able to be co controlled with diet and lifestyle choices. And then sometimes there's going to be cases that are a little more severe that will require medication and other things to um, improve outcomes in addition to the food and lifestyle choices um, that, of course, play a role in, in average blood sugar levels. And does it, like, this is a little off topic, but does it play a little along with weight as well during pregnancy? If you gain a little bit more than the intended amount, intended amount of weight that you gain or? Right. Yeah. Weight, weight in pregnancy, of course, is like a, you know, it's a, just this whole <laughs> very controversial yes, topic right? <laughs> and a very sensitive topic of yes. course too, because when you're pregnant, I mean, your body's changing so quickly and um, some of those changes just, I mean, they're just going to happen and they happen differently to different people. Yes. Right. But, um, yeah, on average, if we're looking from like a statistics standpoint yeah. in research studies, they do find that, um, higher than average weight gain in pregnancy is associated with, um, a higher risk of developing gestational diabetes. Um, and in addition, coming into pregnancy, at a higher than average weight is associated with a higher risk of gestational diabetes, even though not everybody who is overweight is going to necessarily um, get a gestational diabetes diagnosis. So, um, you know, the reason without, without getting into, um, you know, whether, whether BMI is an accurate measure of health and, yeah. and all that stuff, um, on average, the more weight you have on board, the more your body is insulin resistant on some level. So um, it's, it's just harder for your body to control your blood sugar on average. And like I said, some of that is just um, something that naturally happens physiologically in, in pregnancies, even in, you know, women who are, you know, have no uh, pre-existing, um, you know, risk factors for gestational diabetes. Um, but the, the insulin res resistance levels can be higher than average coming into pregnancy at a higher weight, um, or they can be higher than average with what they would call excessive weight gain. But I prefer to say like above yeah. average weight gain, because I think there's just such a huge range on what is normal, you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, some of the, some of the, uh, studies that I have taken, like, uh, courses for plus size, et cetera, they're actually saying that the BMI is outdated a little bit. I don't know. Again, everything is so, like you said, controversial with it. So yeah, BMI is definitely not, um, it's not a perfect measure by any means. <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, it's hard because as clinicians, you know, BMI is really convenient in that it's just, you know, a, a ratio of height to weight. And so anyone can calculate it. Whereas if you really wanted to get specific, like you should probably have some sort of, um, higher level measure where you're actually looking at, you know, lean mass versus fat mass and looking at um, different blood markers of insulin resistance. But of course, those things are not as readily available. So yes. we got BMI for better or for worse. <laughs> I think so. I think it's sticking around for a while. So uh, most people have heard of the uh, regular glucose test, but a lot of us actually don't know what it's made of. So maybe you have a little information on that. I don't know if that's something you would know about. Sure, yeah. So the uh, glucose tolerance test or glucola is the drink that they usually give as a diagnostic test for gestational diabetes and different countries do it differently with different amounts of glucose. But 
Um, at the end of the day, it is a very concentrated sugar drink with a lot of glucose in it. So just pure glucose sugar. And then um, in addition to it, there's often other ingredients that go along with it. So they usually try to make it taste good, um, which it, no matter how much. I can't, I haven't had it, but I haven't heard Um, people say it is. (laughs) Yeah. So there's different flavors of it available depending on the brand that they have. So there'll be flavors in it. Sometimes they color it, which is really silly because who cares what it looks like, but like the, you know, the orange drink one is bright orange, right? So you're going to have like yellow and red food dye in it. Um, Sometimes, again, depending on the flavor, they might use um, brominated vegetable oil and some other ingredients that are, you know, less than ideal. So uh, not everybody is comfortable taking the drink because it, you know, it isn't exactly the cleanest of ingredients. Although I will say that um, on average, the lemon lime flavor usually has cleaner ingredients. I've seen um, some people post pictures of their glucola drink. Um, that says BVO free, so free of brominated vegetable oils. And um, that's a concern because bromine is like a not great chemical to have in your body. It's really harmful to your thyroid actually. So, you know, you don't want to have brominated stuff in your body. Um, So, you know, sometimes there are options that are, that are cleaner. Um, I've also heard of people actually purchasing their own pure glucose powder, pure dextrose powder, powder, it's technically dextrose and glucose are, you know, they're the same thing, um, and mixing up their own. They mix, you know, measure it out on a gram scale, they're 50 or 75 or 100 grams of glucose and mix it with an equivalent amount of water as would be in a um, typical glucose tolerance test. It's usually eight ounces and they like make their own. So, you know, there's always, there's always options out there, but yeah. Well, I haven't heard of that one actually. That's kind of cool. So, well, that kind of leads into the next question about the alternatives because we've all heard about the jelly beans (laughs) and um, I've even heard someone just say, oh, can I have like a cup of sugar and water? (laughs) So like, are there accurate ways of testing it without the drink? possibly or like are there alternatives in a sense to the so if you want to do if you want to do the glucola but not do the commercial one with all the junk in it um i personally think the best option would be to buy pure glucose or pure dextrose measure it out exactly on a gram scale and mix it with eight ounces of water as i mentioned um not all providers are comfortable with that because they're like well the drink is standardized i'm like well technically it's going to be standardized if you measure it on a gram scale, right? But a lot of, you know, they don't want to go through that hassle or liability or whatever, whatever excuse they give, but that would be the most accurate um, alternative. I would not do just plain sugar and water because sugar, like table sugar made of cane sugar, beet sugar is part glucose, part fructose. So it's not those are metabolized differently. Different types of sugars are metabolized differently. And if you're trying to do it exactly what the standard is, which is glucose, you should be using glucose. Same goes for a fruit drink. Same goes for, um, you know, using honey, which is a, usually a higher quantity of fructose in there. Same goes for doing a test meal. Um, they're just not going to be an, an equal match to a glucose tolerance test, which is really what you're trying to mimic right so like a test meal and i've seen all different versions of this 
Um, you know, sometimes they'll have, you know, an egg in there, or sometimes there won't be an egg. Like the difference of having that seven grams of protein with your toast and orange juice or whatever, whatever the thing is that your health provider has, has agreed to as your standardized test meal, that makes a huge difference in your blood sugar response. And for anybody who's ever used a glucometer to test their blood sugar before and after eating things, uh, you'll see it, you know, protein really blunts that spike. So uh, I really don't recommend a test meal. Um, the jelly bean test actually has been studied. And, um, you know, as a whole, it can be used as a replacement for the 50 gram glucose challenge test, which if you're in the United States, the diagnosis of gestational diabetes is usually two parts. It's a 50 gram challenge test. If you fail that, then you do this three hour long test with a hundred grams of glucose. Okay. So if that's the model you're doing, um, the studies have found that that can be okay as a replacement for the 50 gram one. But I was third out there when they did this, they actually sent off that specific brand of jelly beans to a lab to be analyzed for their total simple sugar content. And you can't just look at the carbohydrate grams or the sugar grams on a package of jelly beans and know that you're, that's the exact amount of simple sugars that you're getting. Um, so they actually found that it was, I think it was 72 jelly beans in that particular brand that they were using. But different brands have different recipes. The jelly beans are different sizes. They might be using different types of sugar to make them. There might be differing amounts of gelatin in there, which would throw off the response. Um, so it's again, not perfect. Um, personally, I'm like, if you're going to do the huge bolus of sugar, just do the huge bolus of sugar from a drink and just, you know, get on with it. If you don't want to do the big bolus of sugar, then just get a glucose monitor and monitor your blood sugar at home for a couple weeks. And within those couple weeks of monitoring your blood sugar, include some of those meals that would be equivalent to maybe one of the test meals that somebody would recommend as a replacement for the glucola, right? So have a meal that has 50 or 75 grams of carbohydrates in it and see what your blood sugar response is. Like do that several times because you'll find there's different combinations of food that have different effects, but also it's way more empowering because you actually understand like, whoa, having like white rice, for example, I know I've worn a glucometer and a continuous glucose monitor many times white rice is a total mess for my body. Just, just not good. I can get away with like a tiny bit, but if you're going to serve me like a whole cup of white rice, which actually isn't all that much, but that's, you know, a lot of carbohydrates, <laughs> um, that's going to spike my blood sugar pretty significantly compared to if I had an equivalent amount of carbohydrates from, uh, say an apple, um, I would not see that, that result anywhere close to that result. So it gives you more information that I think is ultimately more empowering than just having a single time point um, test. So it's kind of, you know, it, I think people need to be given all the options and make the call. Um, but I go for either do the drink or do the monitoring of your blood sugar at home. Are the doctors actually going for the whole monitoring at home or do you find that they're not too game on that? Do you feel like they push only the glucose test or they're like, hey, you could actually try that and we'll see how that goes. And then if that kind of back fails, then the glucose test? I think it test? depends entirely on the practice. So, you know, technically in, 
in the literature, the glucose tolerance test is the most vetted way um, and the most common way to diagnose gestational diabetes. So depending on how, you know, up to speed on, on the research the person is and how much they work in the gestational diabetes field, they might have, you know, differences of opinion on it. So, you know, I know for my first pregnancy, they were, you know, they weren't super, I was at a, at a standard medical practice for part of the pregnancy and they weren't super keen with me on not doing the glucose tolerance test. Um, and for the sake of science, and I actually write about this on my blog, I have a two part series on why I drank the glucola. I agreed to do the 50 gram one. Um, and then when my result was one point off and I explained why that likely was, uh, they're like, okay, well, you got to do the hundred gram one. And I was like, I'm not doing the hundred gram one because I don't eat a high carb diet and this doesn't make sense. And we've known since the, at least the 1960s that if you give a glucose tolerance test to somebody who doesn't eat a moderate to high carbohydrate diet, they're very likely to fail. So um, even though I was right on the borderline, right, just one point over, uh, they recommended it. And instead, they wrote a script for a glucose meter, and I measured my blood sugar and didn't have a single high reading. So it was very clear that, that, you know, my result on the glucose challenge test was um, not accurate. Like, that's the issue with glucose tolerance tests. There are chances of false positives and chances of false negatives. So unless they're willing to admit that <laughs> then they often don't want to give you alternatives but you know as the patient i mean true informed consent you're you always have the right to okay. decline anything um, however sometimes certain medical practices can be rather bullying about doing it and you know we're going to mark your chart as gestational diabetic if you don't do it like there's some really you know coercive measures that some practices jump to which i, I think is absurd but i mean this is just the state of <laughs> the state of uh, conventional obstetrics care unfortunately i think more often um, midwifery practices are a little more open um, alternative methods for screening so um, I do write about this, though, in depth in uh, chapter nine of Real Food for Pregnancy, all the different alternatives, and I cite out to the research. And so if you are in a situation where you don't really always bring in that book or, you know, make photocopies of that section. Yes. Hey, I, I am not going to do this test, and this is why. Um, I want to do this one instead. And I mean, technically, you know, I get a little frustrated because I don't think it's... It should be the onus of the patient to educate their medical providers. And I don't think you need to necessarily provide any justification for any of your choices to go with or, or decline any particular procedure or intervention. Um, but sometimes it can be a really helpful teaching moment for the future patients that the provider will be working with. So yeah. leave it up to you whether you want to get into it or not. Um, I would say, you know, if people are feeling really disrespected and, in their choices with uh, care, then it's probably not going to be the best provider to support your birth either. So you might want to, you know, look at changing practices. But yeah, it's a whole can of worms. I know it is. <laughs> you could talk for hours on this subject, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so of course, obviously you have a book, so people obviously need to get the book to read the full in depth, but I guess what's your number one tip you always recommend for people who do have gestational diabetes or are concerned that they may have gestational diabetes? Uh, well, first thing is that you're, you, you, you'll only know what to do and, uh, what's going to work and what doesn't work by experimenting for a little bit and that would involve um, having a blood sugar meter which if your you know provider doesn't give you one or insurance doesn't cover it you can purchase it over the counter um, and test your blood sugar throughout the day so the typical recommendation is first thing in the morning when fasting so before you've had anything to eat or drink other than water and then one to two hours after each meal so you can get a gauge on you know, fasting is your baseline blood sugar. After meals would be how your body responds after eating those particular foods. And usually within a week or two of testing, you'll be able to start identifying patterns in how your body responds to certain foods. And if your blood sugar readings are coming out high after certain meals, the number one thing you want to look back at is what were the sources of carbohydrates at that meal and how large or small were my portions of those foods because carbs are definitely the, the greatest contributor to blood sugar spikes. Um, fat doesn't really raise it much. Protein doesn't really raise it much. They tend to sort of maintain or blunt a blood sugar spike. Um, but the carbs are the ones that really spike it very rapidly. So if you're seeing high numbers, that's a sign to go back. And if you're having a similar meal in the future, maybe have a a smaller portion of the pasta or the rice or the fruit or whatever other source of carbs was um, at the meal. So some people call that eating to the meter. You know, you're just eating what your body tolerates well and without a huge blood sugar spike. And, and it's different for every person. And that's why I think the whole testing of your blood sugar actually can be a really empowering experience because you can figure out, wow, this is how food affects me. And you might also start linking it to other symptoms you have like, oh, when I feel really hungry, it's because my blood sugar has spiked and then dropped. Or, ooh, when I'm having cravings for sugar, it's because you know this happened with my blood sugar beforehand. Or, oh, when I'm feeling foggy headed or really tired or unmotivated, like sometimes those symptoms even can correlate back to your blood sugar. So it's a really eye-opening experience, I think. Which is very awesome for people because I feel like we need more empowering, especially in this day and age. <laughs> yes. So, of course, the, the books are where people can find you, but I kind of see you're all over the map. So is there anywhere specific that listeners can come and find you? So the best way to find me is my main website, which is lilynicholsrdn.com. Um, I have separate websites for the books, but ultimately my main website will link out to everywhere you need to go. Um, if you go to the books tab of my website, I break down what's in each book. So what's in real food for pregnancy, what's in real food for gestational diabetes, how to choose which one is right for you because everyone's like, which one do I get? Um, and really briefly, if you've just recently gotten diagnosed with gestational diabetes, get the gestational diabetes yeah. one. And anyone else, get real food for pregnancy. That, that simplifies it for you. Um, I also have a bunch of freebies available on my site. So there's a freebies tab. I give away the first chapter of Real Food for Pregnancy for free. So definitely check that out. Um, a lot of people like how I include this chart that has a uh, micronutrient breakdown. So all the vitamins and minerals in a conventional prenatal meal plan versus 
one of the ones from the book and you can see which one is more nutrient dense. So that's a kind of fun visual yes. for people to get an eye on. Um, there's many other videos uh, or downloads on there. One of them is a three-part video series on gestational diabetes, again, which would be appropriate for someone who's just gotten diagnosed. And as far as social media, um, I am on several platforms, but I'm most active these days on Instagram. And my handle is the same as my website. So Lil awesome. Lily Nichols RDN. Yes, which will all be in the bio too that they can find on Spotify, et cetera. But I remember reading Real Food for Pregnancy. I loved it. I always tell people like, they're like, oh, I want to focus more on nutrition. I'm like, this is the book. Get this book, read this book. That's all I'm going to say. And that's yeah. literally most of the time they're always buying it and have copies. Half the yeah. time I'm like, hey, if you're done with it, I'll take it. <laughs> Put it in the lending library. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I have it. it like I said, it's all on my wish list. Because originally I got our library to get one actually. So now it's in the library so people can read it and take it out. So nice. it's out most times when I try to want to borrow it. So uh, I think it's yes. working. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. I had so much fun. We've done this before somewhere else, but it's always fun talking to you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And this is a really important topic because I get quite a few clients actually who have gestational diabetes. So this is like awesome a link to send to them that they can watch and listen to right away so yes thank you very much thank and you. everyone listening i hope you have a great day come back next time for another episode bye <laughs>